Hi, Greg Perry, the historic preservationist. Welcome to episode 494, continuing on the development of the the fireplace, particularly where its birthplace was, was, was England. So we're going to continue where we were. We left off, we're talking about uh, accoutrements for the fireplace and overmantles, etc., how they were developed by uh, English designers throughout the centuries. So let's pick it up and continue and run with the ball on that. So this fashion lasted throughout the reigns of George I and II, but does not appear to have found much favor with the architects of that time, nor are the examples of chimney pieces to be now met with numerous its influence may be seen in the hob grate and in the fender, side by side with the florid French work in these 18th century books of designs. We find designs in the revived Gothic style associated with Strawberry Hill. That many sided designers like William Kent, whose decorative work never exceeded mediocrity, was captivated by it. For we find in Jas Darty's designs by Indico Jones and Kent of, of 1744, designs just for screens, pulpit and chimney pieces in this style. Some examples remain as the large chimney piece in Hopton Wood stone, which reaches the floor to ceiling in the hall of Tissington Hall in Derbyshire. Triple clustered and beaded pilasters run up each side of the fireplace into the overmantel and terminate with crooked pinnacles. Mechanical Gothic forms are repeated in a lifeless way over the flat surfaces and the openings. And this is enclosed by a cuspid arch of a very debased kind. Into this medley of styles came a <clears throat> leavening influence, first by the publication of Stuart and Rivette's Antiquaries of Athens in 1742, and then followed up in 1773 by the first volume of R. and J. Adams' works on architecture. These publications introduced a pure classical taste founded on Greek architecture, to which nothing could be more opposed than the French Renaissance practiced by the Chippendale School at the time. Assisted by Perglosi and other brothers, Adam gave to the treatment of marble and chimney pieces a total refinement in decorative detail, which had not been previously seen in England at all or throughout Europe. Their influence was widespread. Many houses were designed by them for wealthy patrons in the country, and they were builders in London also on quite the extensive scale. For their best chimney pieces, they had used the pure white stationary marble with yellow sienna and varied antique for inlays, and for cheaper work introduced ornament of composition laid on wood. For overmantles, they used large mirrors in light gilt frames, or as an alternative, a medallion figure subject with stucco ornamentation carrying the decoration of the room into the chimney breast. The fire grate received their careful attention from drawings by them in the Soane Museum, and the ornament then introduced was largely applied to grates and cast iron, for which it is particularly suitable. 
A similar character to that of Adam's work was found on the chimney pieces of James Stewart in Lynchfield House, number 15, St. James Square. That in the drawing room has a frieze of figures below the entablature attributed to John Flaxman, R.A., during the last quarter of the 18th century. Many marble chimney pieces received the help of eminent sculptors as Joseph Wilton, R.A., and in the house of Richard Cosway, the miniaturist, at 20 Stratwell Place. The chimney pieces of which were carved by Thomas Banks, R.A., Smith, in Noel Keynes and his times. Says that he once saw the painter in his princely mansion standing there. At the fireside upon one of Madame Pompadour's rugs, leaning against a chimney piece, dedicated to the sun, the ornaments of which were sculpted by Banks. The large mirror had become the fashion and had had to be replaced low enough for the exquisites of the day to see themselves in full advantage of their. And the height of the chimney piece was reduced to a very moderate dimension. Sir John Soane designed the chimney pieces under Greek inspiration with some success. His endeavor appears to have been built up as a chimney piece in the Greek spirit, rather than to apply borrowed details to current designs. The fire basket with short side supports, which has been referred to at Penhurst as an early form of a coal burning continued to be made with details influenced by the style that was in vogue. Obelisk of pierced brass on four small pillars took the place of the short columns, and the pierced brass apron of flowing design was placed below the horizontal bowed bars. In others, scrolled feet sufficed to support the basket. For less important rooms, the hob grate was devised the earlier ones showing the French influence in their ornamentation, the later ones more formal style from the Adam brothers. These were made of cast iron and the ornament adopted and modeled with great delicacy and suitability for the material used. The stove grate maker's assistant, the book by W. Gossip, published in 1771, shows many well-designed grates of the basket type, and a few hob grates of less merit. The most characteristic grate of the latter half of the century, not, however, shown in Gossip's book, consisted of a fire basket with bowed or rounded bars with side panels and pierced aprons surrounded by a frame which enclosed the entire opening. These were ornamented with studs and bosses and sometimes even engraved and had fenders to match. General proportions and details were most carefully thought out and produced a very satisfactory result. At the same time, efforts were made to improve grates from the economic side and various plans were devised. The chief of these improvements was Count Rumsfeld, who devoted himself to improving the construction of the fireplace openings and the form of the mouth of the flue and left a series of essays on the subject. In actual fact, he devoted his entire life of this, his 50 years. He was the first to recommend brick in place of iron for the back and sides of the fireplace, thereby reflecting a very material improvement 
as brick retains the heat, which, in the case of iron, more readily passes through and goes up the chimney. His example and precepts do not appear to have affected any lasting improvement of the construction of fireplaces. As we find that in the early part of Queen Victoria's reign, they were made mainly of black iron, and the court's name remained attached only to a form of hobgrate, which is not even mentioned in his essays. The open fireplace has always retained its popularity in England. The closed stove for domestic use has never found that favor here, which it has on the continent and in America. Nor have we produced anything like the German enclosed stoves of enameled earthenware of the 16th and 17th centuries. Examples of which may be seen in the Victorian Albert Museum, although something of this kind must have been referred to by Harrison, a contemporary writer who says, As for stoves, we have not hitherto used them greatly yet, to they now bane to be made in drivers' houses of the gentry and wealthy citizens, who build them not to work and feed as in Germany and elsewhere, but now and then to sweat in as occasion and need shall require it. We are not aware that any stoves now remain to which this remark may have been referred to. The abundance of fuel and its comparative cheapness may have hindered the strictest economy being practiced by the adoption of the closed stove. And this coupled with our changeable climatic conditions and the uncertainty of duration of any spell of cold weather may have prevented the earnest grappling with the subject which has been found necessary in older climates than ours. It is only during the last few years since the introduction of anthracite coal for domestic use that any great increase has taken place in the manufacture of closed stoves. These have undoubted merits for use in halls and other positions, where the brightness of an open fire is not very necessary, but where heat is the only objective, and where by keeping them burning continuously, a greater proportion of the heat generated can be utilized, which much of it being sent upward. The open fire certainly remains the most popular as it was for the most artistic and the means of heating our homes and dwellings, being unequaled not for its cheerfulness and charm, but also as a means of ventilation and consistently changing the air of the room where it is in use. So this is a, a mere introduction. Some of it's a little heavy, a lot of names and dates, um, referring back to our, quote, mother country, England, where the fireplace and the chimney were developed and all of its ornament and ancillary accessories and uh, overmantles and, and everything that comes with it. Uh, through the advent of cutting down wood to the advent of anthracite coal, um, through small potbelly stoves that would have been placed just in hallways. So uh, we'll pick up uh, future episodes uh, and carry the, uh, the, the development of the English fireplace just a little bit further. Greg Perry, the Historic Preservationist, signing out. Thanks for listening.